pants. He puts on his shirt, he puts on his baseball cap, he puts on his eye black and game face is on. He's ready to walk out the door. He hops into the truck with his daddy. And as they're driving down the road, the son says, Dad, we're going to win this today. We're going to win it. Championship baseball game. They arrive to the field and they begin to warm up. The little boy ties his shoes. He's ready. He runs a foul pole. And they're warming up. They're throwing. Then, then the game starts. First at bat, the kid steps in the box. And he looks up at the pitcher. And he gives the pitcher a little wink to make sure he knows who's running the show. And so the boy gets his bat up on his shoulder and he takes the biggest load and he hits the ball off the tee. It's a tee ball game. And so he gets his base hit. And this goes this way the entire game. Five to five at the very end of the ball game. It's tied bottom of the fifth. Now you understand tee ball, there's a time limit to it. And so the time's running out, but they've gotten to the fifth inning. Bottom of five, it's tied. The little boy grabs his glove and goes out to play third base. He gets his prep step each pitch, and lo and behold, a ground ball is hit to the shortstop. He's playing third base. He runs, dives for the ball, takes the ball, throws it over the first baseman's head, over the fence, and out of the ballpark. The runner makes it to second. The boy kicks the dirt, throws his hat, throws his glove. I hate this game. And then his dad from the dugout, the head coach, son, read your shirt. And the son with his head down is wondering, read my shirt. Read your shirt. He goes back to his position. Pop fly, hit to left field. The boy turns around and starts running back in the outfield. Runs, pushes the kid down, and then he trips on his own feet, and the ball falls right beside him. They're able to keep the runner to third. No runs have scored. Now, you know if a run scores, they lose the ball game. Runners on second and third, and the boys kick the dust. Threw his hat again. Son, read your shirt. The son with his head down reads his shirt again. What is he talking about? Ground ball hit to him. He misses it. Goes right under his glove into the outfield. Run, score, game over. Get in the truck with his dad on the way home. And the boys in the back and the dad fixes the mirror on him because he knows there's something wrong with the, the kid. He's, he feels as if he's lost the game. What's wrong, son? Dad, I lost the game. Do you not know why I'm so upset? I've lost the game. It was the championship game, and I lost it all. The bottom of the fifth, the most important time of the game, and I choke. I lost it. And the boy begins to cry and drops his head again. And he sees his jersey. And then he kind of raises his head up to ask a question. Now, not all the way up, but he raises it up just a little bit and the dad sees it. And he said, what is it, son? Dad, why is it 
that every time that I made a mistake, why is it that you told me to read my shirt? Well, son, when I saw how selfish you were being, when I saw how it was all about you and you wanted to field every ground ball, every pop fly, and then you got so upset at yourself that you thought it was all on you, you needed a reminder when you looked down and read your shirt who you were playing for. Son, it's not about you. It's not about just you. It's about the team that you serve. You're not playing for the number on the back of your jersey. You're playing for the team on the front of your jersey. And it's not about you. As we think of a humble servant. Now, if I could retitle this lesson, I would retitle it in such a way as this. The Mindset of a humble servant or how to become a humble servant. If I was the the pulpit minister here and I had Sunday morning today and Sunday night, this would be separated into part one and part two. This is part one. I don't get a part two. But I can talk about the mindset of a humble servant. So first of all, we're supposed to turn to Philippians chapter two. And what I want you to do is if you have a bookmark, just throw it down right there in Philippians chapter 2 because we're going to flip from here to other passages as we go through. But in Philippians chapter 2, it's talking about this one mind. This mind that was of Christ. If you read on down to verse 9 and 10, you read about Christ and how He was humble and how He was a servant. And that's where we want to camp out today, but we're going to go to other passages. So in verse 3, we're going to start there. And I thank you so much, James, for reading this uh, so capably. But in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. As we move forward... That verse, if you've got the bulletin, I was really excited to make those blanks. And I really took a lot of pride in making those blanks. But here's our first one right here. In order to become a humble servant, with verse 3, I have to realize that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. And honestly, it's a pride thing. Think about it. And I'm not coming to you this morning saying, well, you need to be humble. You need to stop thinking about yourselves. Think about it. I would struggle with this very much. I'm standing in front of a big crowd and I have all of your attention on me. That's something that I would struggle with and that's something that we all struggle with. But in order to become a humble servant, I have to realize that it's not about me. Read the last part of verse 3, but also to the interest of others. Our conversations, when we talk with people, does it usually, do we usually dominate the conversation and say, well, you know what, it's actually going to be about me, this whole conversation? Or do we bring it to the other person? Do we allow ourselves to talk about the other person and, and make it all about them? In our lives, when, when troubling times come about, is it all about me and we shut out everybody else? It's not about you. You want to be a humble servant? 
you got to first figure out, it's, it's not about you. But it's about esteeming others higher than ourselves. Read verse 4 with me. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, other translation would say, would say esteeming others higher than ourselves. It's not about us, but it's about everyone else. It's about esteeming others higher than ourselves. It pains me to remember, and it was probably in fourth or fifth grade, but I think back, you remember the first day of school and the tradition of the first day of school for every teacher. It was, now class, this is what we're going to do today. It's the first day of school. We don't know each other very well, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to have each of you stand up and tell us three things about yourself. You're just going to tell your name and then three things about yourself. And then the weird kid in the back says, well, can it be four? Well, yes, Billy, it can be four. It can be four things. But tell us four things about yourself so we can get to know you and have some knowledge of who you are and then just sit down and we'll go to the next person. All right. Well, I remember sitting down. I knew exactly what I was going to say. Five seconds in, I knew what I was going to say. I'm smart. I'm funny. I've got a great personality. I have a great spiritual life. That's the four that I wanted. And I knew it. Who in the world is going to tell something bad about themselves when they stand up? Everybody's going to talk about how smart they are, how funny they are, how good their personality is, and if they're religious, how great their spiritual life is, how much they love Jesus. Isn't that true? Don't you want people to know that? Absolutely. But think about this. I got up and I said it. I'm smart. I'm funny. Got a great personality. And uh, got a great spiritual life. And then I sat down. I was like, man, I nailed it. Everybody's going to like me now. I had four great characteristics that I told everybody this day. And I'm going to have so many friends. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Keep that little story in mind as we read John chapter 1, please. But here in John chapter 1, we see a man who's described by Jesus as, there's no guy that's greater than this guy right here. There's no man born of woman that's greater than John the Baptist. But he that's in the least, he that's in the kingdom, he's greater than him. But let's read John chapter 1, and we'll start in 19. Let's see how he deals with this. Tell us a little bit about yourself, John. Well, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Now stop. Stop real quick. Let's just imagine that John is in front of a class and he's about to tell some great things about himself, okay? I wish I was like John here. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. This is his opportunity to say, you know what? I've got a lot of attention right now. I'm the Christ. 
I'm the Savior of the world. Come follow me. I'll baptize you right now. And you can start being my disciples. And we'll go and we'll travel together. I'm the Christ. He could have said something really good about himself, which was false. But he could have said it about himself and had a bunch of followers. But notice what it says. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 21. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Good study to do. Go and study John the Baptist. And then look at the life of Elijah. And look how they're both... Uh, depicted their physical appearance, they basically look alike. Look in Second King, uh, Kings chapter one, verse eight. They were both hairy, and they wore a belt around their waist. They looked the exact same. They could have thought that he was a reincarnated Elijah. Let's see what he says about that. Are you Elijah? He said, "I am not." Are you the prophet? He answered, "No." So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. One thing we need to notice. We must come to our true identity before we can become a humble servant. We have to know who we are. And not only that, let's think back. Remember, esteeming others higher than ourselves. Look at verse 27. Listen to what John says about Jesus. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He had the attitude. He had the attitude. He didn't think of himself. He didn't lie about himself. He told him, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord. That's who he was. And not only that, he esteemed Jesus higher than himself. I can't even touch his sandals. That's how higher than me he is. But I want you to notice this. Back to my story. What if I would have gotten up and said this? And tell me if this is the truth. Because I believe it is. I absolutely believe it is. Remember when I said I was smart? What if I would have said this? Well, sometimes I like to think I'm smart, but I don't know a whole lot, and I'm still learning. And honestly, I'm wrong some of the times. And when I said that I was funny, well, sometimes I even make jokes and nobody laughs. And, and, and I laugh it off sometimes that, that I made a, a joke that wasn't funny, but honestly, inside it hurts. When I said I had a, a good personality, and sometimes I can be rough around the edges. And, and I think the people that hang out with me the most when I'm, when I'm like that, I think the only reason why they hang out with me is because they love me and, and they're going to love me no matter what. And my great spiritual life, I struggle a lot. I sin every day. I have doubts sometimes, but I'm trying. That was the truth, wasn't it? That was the truth. 
In order to become a humble servant, we have to come to our true identity. And when I said my spiritual life, in order to become that true humble servant, we have to realize I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. If you don't understand that, you can't humble yourself. You'll think of yourself highly. You'll think that, I mean, you deserve everything. Listen, you don't deserve a thing. And I don't either. When Christ came to the earth, we didn't deserve it. When Christ died for us, we didn't deserve it. I'm a sinner. When we understand that it's not about us, and there's no reason for it to be about us, we can begin to become humble. And then we start esteeming others higher than ourselves. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll look at, we'll read verse 4 again. And I believe we're going to be going down to verse uh, 7. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now here we go. Now it's going to start translating over to Jesus Christ. This is very important. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. A little boy, listening to a sermon much like this one, he began to cry. Why? The mom asked him, Son, what's wrong? Why are you crying? It's going to be okay. It's just a lesson. It's fine. And the boy says this, Mom, I just realized that Jesus exchanged his home in heaven for a little house in Nazareth. He exchanged his robe in heaven for a bondservant's garments. He exchanged his crown of glory for a crown of thorns. We're about to read a passage. And I really want you to devote all of your mind to this passage. I was talking with Mark just a couple of days ago. And I told him, I said, man, this is my new favorite passage. And we laughed it off because we know every single time when we study for a lesson, we'll come across a passage and we'll say, man, that's my favorite. And then the next, next week is that's my favorite passage. It changes every week, but this right now is a passage that I'm so amazed and I'm in awe over it. And it moves me deeply. In John chapter 13. In John chapter 13. We see Jesus and his disciples there together. And Jesus is going to do something that totally surprises every single one of them in the room. In this context, the disciples are talking about who's the greatest? Which one of us is the greatest? I think it's me. No, I think it's me. No, it's not you. It's me. I'm the greatest. And they're disputing amongst themselves. And honestly, I think Jesus, Jesus got tired of that a lot. And you probably heard that a lot. In John chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 1. 
And verse 1 is even amazing. But I believe this. If we would just read this passage straight down, it would preach for itself. It truly would. But we're not going to do that. So verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. How amazing is that? To hear that not only Jesus when He came in the world and when He met these people, that He loved them then, but He loved them to the very end. And He's about to show it. Verse 2, During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God. Now I have to stop right there because this is very important. If you miss it, you miss the whole reason of this passage. Jesus, the Son of God. He had everything. Everything He ever needed. He never needed anything, honestly. But in eternity, never needed a thing. He's all-powerful. He's got everything. Then He comes to earth. He calms the storms here on earth. He heals so many people. Raises men from the dead. And He shows and displays His power which would deserve worship all the days of His life. This amazing God here that came to earth, verse 4, rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. I want you to notice something. It expresses that Jesus had an outer garment. When He took off His outer garment, He was left with something that looked honestly like a long t-shirt. Then He took a towel and then wrapped it around His waist. He poured water into a basin. And I think then that's when the disciples really got what was about to happen. But I want you to notice what form he took, how he looked at this point. He looked like a slave. He honestly looked like a bond servant. And he humbled himself at that point. Keep reading with me. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, am, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You realize what just happened? Peter recognized exactly what we all know. God in the flesh just took the form of a slave. And now He's washing our feet. That's something the disciples do to the Master. That's something that the lowly servant does 
to the one who's higher. And now, the Son of God is washing his disciples' feet. And he's teaching them something. We have to serve because Jesus served. That's one thing we have to learn from this. Jesus was gone, but he didn't act like it at this point. He didn't act like he was the one that was supposed to be serving. He was the one that deserved all the worship. And he deserves all this, all these worshiping blessings. But now, no, it's I'm going to wash your feet. Let me wash your feet. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. And you know honestly what Jesus said back to him? You don't let me do it. You have nothing to do with me. We serve because Jesus served. Another thing that we can learn from this, true humble service is not picking and choosing who should be served. And I know a lot of us are thinking, what in the world, how do we draw that from this passage? These are Jesus' disciples. But I want you to read with me real quick. When he had washed their feet, this is verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus basically says here, If I, the Lord, wash your feet, you have no excuse to wash anybody else's feet. You have no excuse to not do that. A lot of people today, are you telling me that I'm supposed to serve so-and-so? Do you know who they are? I don't have any dealings with them. I'm not going to serve them. Why would I do that? They're mean. They're selfish. And they don't deserve it. Why are you telling me I'm supposed to serve them? Well, let's just keep this. We've got to serve whether good or bad. And there's still not an answer for it. There's still not an answer for why we should serve the bad. I understand why we should serve the good. We understand that. But you've got to understand, Judas was in the room. Judas was in the room. Listen to verse 2 again. During supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. He was in the room. You remember, I mean, you remember Judas, right? The one who betrayed Jesus? The one who sold him for 30 pieces of silver? Betrayed him for that much? You remember that guy? Yeah, he was in the room. He got his feet washed too. There's no excuse for picking and choosing who should be served. Absolutely not. But we keep going. It's not here that Jesus stopped serving. He never stopped serving, actually. 
But if we can keep reading really quick, verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus served his disciples, therefore we have no excuse to not serve. There's no excuse now. That's the mindset of a humble servant. You're probably thinking, what's the next blank? You probably already know the next blank. He served all the way to death. Can we go back to Philippians chapter 2, please? And keep reading. We'll start in verse 7, and we'll go to verse 8. This part really gets me. And there's, there's a reason for it. But verse 7, He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then verse 8, Being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Matthew chapter 27. Turn with me there, please. Matthew chapter 27. What's happened here is Jesus is nailed to a cross. Jesus is nailed there, and honestly, he's in agony. He was there for six hours. I did a lesson on this. It was my first lesson I ever did here. I'm sure we're all well-schooled now on what happened on the cross. There were a lot of sayings that happened on the cross. There were a lot of events that happened on the cross. But I want us to really dial in on verse 39 through 44, if we can. Verse 39. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, Now stop right there. Verse 42. Remember that, remember that number. Verse 42. i got a question real quick. Have you ever had somebody tell you you can't do something? When I was younger, there is a cousin of mine here that we would always look at each other when we would be outside playing and we would tell each other that we can't do certain things so we would be able to get one another to try it. Y'all understand that? And I'll be honest, when I was younger, I used to love it when people would tell me you can't do something because that meant I got to prove them wrong. There's a sense of pride there. There's a sense of you're testing and challenging my pride Therefore, I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to show you that I can do it. What's the opposite of that? 42. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. 
And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. He saved others. He can't even save himself. The mindset of a humble servant. Here it is. Jesus, as he was on the cross, was told he can't come down. He can't even do it. Why don't you come down? Do you think for one moment that Jesus possibly could have thought, I can show them that I can do it. I can show them and I can prove my pride. I can say they're challenging my pride. And I'm on the cross. And I'm hanging here. It's humiliating. And they're telling me I can't come down. They've seen all the things that I've done. Do you not think that went through his head? Jesus, the amazing humble servant, stayed there and he died. And he humbled himself, even to the point of death, yea, the death of the cross. A humble servant gives his life to serve. That's the mindset of the humble servant. The only time Jesus ever wanted to lift himself up above others here on this earth was when he was hanging on the cross. He was humble. He was ready to serve. And I'm going to go ahead and extend the invitation and ask this question. How humble are you? You see what God has done for you. You see how humble He was. You see how He died for you. And He served all the way to death. Can you just humble yourself the same way? And come and just obey Him? I want us to think about this real quick. What excuse would you give? What excuse would be good enough to tell Jesus on the day of judgment? Well, Jesus, you know, I, I just didn't have the time to. Or I was so busy, I, I just never even got around to it. Or I, I, don't, I just don't think I'm ready. I, I really don't. I know I need to do it, but I just don't think I'm ready. Jesus, you are asking too much of me. I hate that excuse. I, I can't stand it. Imagine saying that to him on the day of judgment. Now imagine this. Walking up to Jesus and giving your excuse as he's hanging on a cross. All excuses at that point seem pretty frail, don't they? There's no excuse that would be good enough. Just obey Him. We love you so much. And Jesus Christ loves you. Please, if you've fallen away, if you haven't lived that life that you need to live for Christ, you're the only one that knows that. You're the only one that knows that. Please come forward and make that right. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to be there with you and for you. If you haven't become a child of God, please Come make things right this morning.